0: Hello, and welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is...
1: Jazz. Yes, hello.
0: Um, yeah. I'm glad to finally meet you in person. We've been, like, in similar circles, and uh, I feel like in some ways I'm,
1: like, podcast guy. But it's
0: like, hey, there's other podcast people in town. And I'm really happy about that.
1: So. Me too. Me yeah. too. Absolutely. I feel like there, there's room for everyone at this point. And a lot of time to be alive where we're not having to fight for space, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So... Who are you? What do you do?
1: (laughs) So I'm Jazz. I do podcast production work at a nonprofit in Oklahoma City called Possibilities. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of community engagement and rehabilitation for individuals and groups, whether that is reconciliation workshops, leadership workshops, program development, and their newest venture is the podcast platform that they're starting. It's called Breaking Ice Building Bridges, and its goal is to create community through the use of podcast, video, any type of entertainment production that you can think of that brings people in Oklahoma City together and creates an accessible outlet for people to learn how to do this and overcome some of the many challenges that people face when trying to get into entertainment, broadcast, media, you name it.
0: Yeah. Uh, you also do music.
1: Yes, that's true. Yes. I started DJing when I was 18. I'm kind of dating myself here. So about almost 12 years ago, I started DJing, fell in love with electronic music when Cascade made his debut at the Oklahoma City Diamond Ballroom. Mm -hmm. And from there, I just, uh, Tagged along with all of my friends, did production work, helped set up events, did all the flyer posting in Oklahoma City for just about everything back in the 2010s and play a little bit of saxophone and ukulele to boot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh but you also do some composition, which ends up on oh, podcasting. Yes.
1: yes, I do. It's I I never give myself credit for that the musicality behind that because I'm like, yeah, no, sound beds, yes, you can buy a royalty-free one. You can rip a royalty-free one, but I actually help individuals handcraft those every time. So it's unique and something that the individuals that are hosting these podcasts get to say they help create, mm. which is super fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, And I, I really enjoy it. Like being able to kind of, hey, what do you want to go with? And then just like, hey, look, you have a unique podcast theme or just something in the background that no one else is ever going to have.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I really, I really enjoy doing it. It's fun. And it helps keep my chops up, too, because there'll be so much time I spend just on audio cleanup that I could completely forget that I need to make music at some point to Mm -hmm. just, you know, for my own well-being. So it's really nice to be able to interject some creativity into what usually could be like a non-creative process.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So which of these would you consider to be your primary passion or you don't even have to decide that any of these are your primary passion
1: <laughs> hmm. I think for me the passion comes from not any one particular practice because I feel like as a, as a musician and artist and creative I do so many different things I think that the passion Comes from trying something new mm-hmm. and and bringing other people into that mix. I really like to introduce people to new creative ideas and and show them and and help bring them into a community of creativity. I I like to my one of my favorite things is sitting down with kids on GarageBand mm-hmm. and having a song after we've hung out for like ten or fifteen minutes. I love showing people that you can edit this video you can edit this sound you mm. you can do these things so for me i've i've just developed a lot of passion in in bringing other people into the the profession that we're in
0: yeah how did you first get started in i guess audio is the bigger
1: overarching thing <laughs> sound the yeah. the symphony the symposium so mm. i actually was as cliche as it sounds, born into it. Um, my mm-hmm. father was a guitarist in a little red dirt rock band here in Oklahoma City. I can't name one because he was in so many. Sure. Um, he was definitely what I would think of as the the studio guitarist or a mm-hmm. studio musician. And so ever since I was little, they would always have band practice in the front room. I remember being put in my crib, you know, falling asleep to mm-hmm. just bass guitar or yeah. drums pounding on the other side of the wall. And then as I started to get older and I would go with him on these concerts or rehearsals and I just naturally was very curious about what happened in the process to go from, you know, dad putting his guitar case in the truck to there's a live band playing and people are enjoying it and having a good time. So just pretty much throughout my youth, I fiddled with instruments, fiddled with stage set up, um, uh, let's see. I want to say fourth grade is when I got my first saxophone. Mm-hmm. I was just starting to get into middle school, kind of late elementary, playing that. And pretty much it was just, uh, I feel like a path that was kind of carved out for me, but I still chose to take it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it, at what point was it your choice to take it and not just like... The thing that you were born into?
1: I think for me, that was really right about when I turned 18. So I was in my senior year of high school, and I had a real good friend that we like to go get in trouble sometimes, and she was my compatriot in these mm-hmm. things. And a long, long time ago, Oklahoma City fam, there used to be a hookah bar. Mm. Called the greenhouse. It is now currently known as Hubbly Bubbly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to sneak in there a lot. Yeah. And for me, I really loved the environment because there was music, there was hookah, there's just, you know, all these new things that I was just now discovering in the world of, you know, being a young adult. And during that time, I ran into someone. I had met someone and and made a friend, and they ended up being a mentor, and they were DJ. Mm-hmm. And they happened to be friends with the resident DJ greenhouse at the time. So I learned from them mm-hmm. and they let me DJ some nights and it was horrible. I'd clear a floor out yeah. so fast. No one was ready for EDM at that time. Yeah. They were like, why, what? <laughs> what is this? So um because of those friendships I developed at the greenhouse, I later on ended up getting a small internship at a, Recording studio that I I do not know if it is in business or not, but it's called Diamond Sound okay. over off of 36th. And I don't remember the other street, we'll just say 36 yeah. on the east side. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I really fell in love with audio engineering. I fell in love with recording and getting to work with artists. I had some amazing mentors there that showed me everything from Pro Tools to Logic, Audacity, Cubase, whatever I asked for, it was there and I could learn. Mm-hmm. And it just really took off from there. I mean, you know, sure, I was grabbing Bobo's chicken at midnight for clients or grabbing coffee for people. But at the same time, I was allowed into those spaces where I could sit and watch and learn. And I, I think that's really what propelled me just veering off the course and and making my own course in, in terms of music and the career choice I have. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: there's a... A spectrum of creativity versus technicality that i always discuss especially regarding audio which is like there's the creative side which is like more music and just writing music or recording music and then there's the technical side which is like literally setting up microphones being a daw operator or board operator um Where on that spectrum do you feel like you sit a lot of the time or do you feel like you're constantly fluctuating among it?
1: (laughs) Great question. I really feel like in nature that is probably like a pendulum. Mm -hmm. There are times where I am really excited about learning new technology as it's developing Mm -hmm. as far as studio production goes, but then there's other times where I really withdrawn to myself because I'll realize, wow, I haven't wrote or played anything for myself. It's been constantly for clientele or people that I'm trying to help mentor and develop. So I feel like it really comes and goes in seasons almost mm-hmm. for me. So it could, you could say 50-50, but there's just not a solid scale for that 50-50. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so then going from the work in a recording studio, and then, I guess, how do we get to here? I guess, where's the rest of that story?
1: (laughs) So, there was an interesting break. Um, So, from 18, I was really big into being mentored and learning and developing and DJing and hanging out with friends that were just starting to make their own music. A lot of uh, people from the Robotic Wednesdays gang over at camps were a lot of the close companions of mine that I was learning from. And I think when I was about 22, 23, I was managing a band for a while. And I put a lot of my energy into managing that band. And I did the one thing you're not supposed to do when you're managing the Mm. band, and that's date one of the band members. Mm. We had a real rough and tumble relationship. Um, My father ended up passing during that time, and that really messed me up. And I had to put music and that creative aspect down altogether because I lost my father, musician, and he yeah. was very much the archetype for who I am today. So there was a really big gap from about mm, I want to say I want to say twenty fourteen because we we had we had gotten the band in Ohio to play at Skatopia, mm. which was that big. It's like a big skater commune punk rock music festival. So we did that. I was absolutely burned out. And then my dad had passed. And then I split up with the guys. So like all of this happened in like a year. And then from there, I was really trying to get myself just kind of figured out. I moved back in with my auntie and uncle at the time here in uh, Oklahoma and really focused on just like finishing my degree. Because I had started an audio production degree in 2011 Mm -hmm. and technically graduated, but I was like missing a credit that was non-related. So in 2016, I I finished that, some online courses, and then I had also started ACM at the time. And so I finished that, got all of those degrees in 2019. And it was just kind of a gradual buildup of getting more comfortable with things because in 2012, I had gotten, you know, Pro Tools certified, I was, you know, DJing, and then all of that kind of fell off. So I had to really get my, get my chops or get the confidence to get my chops back up in the world. So uh, as silly as this sounds, it started off with me getting a lot of what I consider toys. Um, so teenage engineering has the pocket operator, you know, just uh, really loved that as a handheld beat making device. So I started with that. And then And then I got, there's this really, really cool program on Steam called Rhythmic. Mm. And I got it on the Nintendo DS and it was a game. So it was like a gamified music production tool. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll start with this again just to start getting creative again and feel confident about writing again. And that started taking off. It was really fun. And then I, you know, ended up playing with like Soundtrap online. It's a nice, real simple web-based production tool. And then I was like, okay, I got the degree. I don't have any clientele. Maybe I should just, you know, start working with, you know, some better equipment and playing. And at that point, I was feeling good to play ukulele again. And uh, then I finally just kind of hunkered down. And my uncle was like, what do you want for Christmas one year? And I was like, Brace Honest has this really cool studio package. It's got a Black Friday deal. Let's go for that. And then I got this equipment. And then the pandemic happened. And I got really bored. <laughs> so I opened up that stuff. And it sat It sat in my room for like six months after I got it. So I was like, I don't know. What if I'm going down the wrong path? What if I'm not meant to be an engineer? Maybe I should stay in these call centers. Dah, dah, dah. And then I started playing with that. And I was like, wow, yeah, no. It's like riding a bike. It's all there. I just... Needed to switch from Tools to Studio One. That ended up being the right choice for me. Mm-hmm. But pretty much it was a very extended period of time of healing and growth and just getting the confidence and kind of picking myself back up from the chaos that was being in production as a young woman at the time. And boy, howdy, it's a lot easier doing this stuff closer to 30 than it is 21, 22. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, uh, how'd you get into podcasts specifically?
1: Funny story, so a family friend of ours who happens to be the executive director of possibilities uh his name's Byron Jackson. you met him, yeah. and uh he had reached out to me randomly at the time I was working at a nonprofit called community action agency. And he was like, Hey, do you know anyone that does sound design or, Mm -hmm. or editing? And I was like, I do me. (laughs) I do. And he was like, okay, let's meet for lunch. And we talked and he was like, okay, I don't need it yet, but soon I'm going to need some assistance with, with studio production work and and all that jazz. And I was like, okay, bet. So in November of 2021, they were like, can you do radio? And I was like, what the heck? I thought I was coming in for some light podcast work. Y'all want me to do radio? What, what's going on? I was like, and at the point I was feeling very confident and cocky. So I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. So I got to meet this really amazing nonprofit local news group called Oklahoma Watch. And they just do Oklahoma state-based news, nonpartisan stuff, and started editing for them. And it was crazy because I would send back, you know, these products that were definitely edited, but not mixed in any way. I was Mm -hmm. like, you're getting basically raw edit cuts. Here we go. And they loved it and they were happy with it. And that's what they needed at the time. And it really gave me a confidence boost knowing that this isn't, you know, triple A grade production work here, but it met their needs at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was a really great experience because I got to grow and continue redeveloping my skills 10 years after you know going to school for it and it was it was such an amazing thing to happen because I got to relearn how to do everything during that time and now of course you know we're using ozone we're editing we're mastering we're making this sound good and you know KGO use they're fine with it they they like a job you know so if it's good enough for radio it's good enough for me at this point
0: yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely uh yeah it's a very interesting thing that Even as like applied knowledge that ACM can be, um, and I mean any like audio engineering type learning is pretty hands-on, is pretty like technical school anyways, uh, there's still something very different when it's like you're doing it for an assignment versus you're doing it for people that are paying you and they like, you know, there's some sort of standard here and as you get to do it, you're like, oh this is what that thing I learned in school was talking about. But like, this is what I actually Mm -hmm. am doing.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually, I had such a unique experience with ACM. And let me tell you a secret. I never once stepped in a studio at ACM. Mm -hmm. So I technically went for the business degree there, got the bachelor, thought that would be handy. I got all of my audio engineering teeth chewed at rose state Okay. so they had a very short-lived audio engineer program when uh this professor came in from wisconsin developed the whole program ran the whole program by himself and then was like all right after this i'm out i'm gonna go <laughs> teach sports and do individual <laughs> stuff a really cool guy He was the he was the his name was jeremy clifton and he was the drummer for a horse called war cool yeah really cool guy but yeah no i'll never forget him uh as nice as he was and as, as instructional as he was, he, I just, he would have us set up shows mm. and they would be part of the academics, but I'll never forget, you know, just, is that how you rap a chord? Yeah. Is that, no, I taught you better. This show is not going to run if y'all can't do your <laughs> basic routings. So it was great getting to have that experience and really know what it'd be like working with other people in the field. And then um getting to reapply that almost a decade
0: later. Sure. Sure. Uh, but then also like actually doing it and oh, yeah. actually having people yes, count on you and that yes. sort of thing. And,
1: and there'd be, you know, quotas, there'd be in consultations and payment involved. It, it puts stress on you, but in a healthy way, because mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I'm not just doing this to show these beats to my friend or to impress some kids down at the club. Like we're, we're doing this for real.
0: Yeah. Uh, business is a real thing. Uh, <laughs> I guess, um. Yeah, you and I are both making money off of doing podcast stuff. Uh, how do you do that?
1: <laughs> so I decided to take the most unheard of approach and the way that I really hope I can further our programs in the future for other people entering the field is really blending that with nonprofit work. Mm -hmm. So in 2020, I had been burnt out from four or five call center jobs. They put me in a mental hospital, just stress, unhappiness. And at that point, I was waiting tables Mm -hmm. at a bar here in OKC. And then the pandemic happened and there was no more waiting tables during that time. So I completely switched over to nonprofit and I really liked public service. we were doing community rent aid and other utility services, just general household assistance for families during the pandemic and I really liked that. but as uh the year went on, we got into twenty twenty One and whatnot. And towards the end of that year, I started to sense that, you know, it wasn't going to be beneficial for me to just focus on pandemic relief. And I was sitting here thinking to myself, how can I make a better impact in my community and branch out from this? So at that point, that's when I was contacted by Possibilities. And the way that I was fortunate enough to find a need and and fill that need was in nonprofit by providing the kind of services that we do to individuals who may have never known they could be in a studio Mm -hmm. or could profit themselves from a studio, whether that was financially, spiritually, or within their communities, lifting up other people. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very... Niche group, but essentially what I do is I with possibilities, we do monthly workshops, we teach people the basics of hosting a podcast, the very basics Mm -hmm. of setting up a recording session and giving them the confidence to know, hey, even if I don't go on to be an engineer in the future, I can now work with them or I can be in these spaces and not feel excluded or too novice to be taken seriously. And that has looked like mentorship, one-on-one class sessions, just having people come in and and bring in their friends and family and peers for recording and we're seeing what what we can do from here.
0: Yeah. Uh, It sounds like the core of all of this is community anyways so i mean it you use all your skills to help people but it's not even so much about the skills themselves you want to help people <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So a lot of times when I'm telling people about my life mission or why I do this or why I'm not working in like Nashville or L.A. or whatever and why I choose to stay and continue this work in Oklahoma is because I always like to share with people, you know, not so long ago, it was a very hard world for us to get into Mm -hmm. as far as having to have exorbitant amounts of money to go to school, having to know the right people at the right time and then having to look and act a certain way, to be taken seriously. And I'll never forget how hard it was as a young woman going into these studio spaces and always being the appointment setter, watching the engineer's children or the artist's children while the sessions happened, or just flat out not being acknowledged. Now, I was very lucky for the few people that did take me seriously and did believe in me, and that's how I ended up being where I am today. But... I wanted to make sure that no other person, no matter what age or background they're from, doesn't have to experience that anymore. We're too far into the future now for no one to be able to pick up some new recording software, pick up their tablet or whatever. They, anyone can make magic happen. And and that at the heart of what I do is what I want for everyone is to have a piece of that magic.
0: Yeah. Uh, what has Podcasting done for you?
1: (laughs) So, podcasting for me has definitely taught me um, some very introductory psychology. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, For me, it has really instilled in me that everybody has something in common. Mm. Because when you bring people into a podcast session, especially with the kind of podcasts that we do, and you know, they're Non sponsored, no advertising. People don't even know half the time what they're going to come in and talk about. For me, it's just so incredible to see strangers, just complete strangers, open up to each other and share really intimate emotional details about themselves and then walk away being just touched by that moment. And sometimes, you know, we have people leave and they're like, oh, I can't wait to come back in. Or they're like, wow, I'm probably never going to come back in, but that was a really big moment in my life, mm-hmm. just being here. And I really enjoy just hearing the all, all kinds of conversations that happen from, from all walks of life.
0: Yeah. Um, and then music, uh, since you still get to contribute in that, but also just how it's been a part of your life anyways. And I feel like, In a way as well, like DJing is also like a community focused thing when people perform original music, for example, it's kind of a form of self-expression. But to me, it seems like DJing is a bit of like almost comedy, even not in the sense of you're trying to be funny, but in the sense of like, it requires the communication between you and the room and what you're trying to do with them. Like, hey, we're trying to enjoy this thing together. Um, and so I don't know, maybe I'm just reaching here, but you know, community still is a consistent thread to your life. Uh, <laughs> so I guess, tell me about DJing and your interest in it and what you've gotten out of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it started with someone thinking it was a good idea to let me play this very old PlayStation one game called Wipeout. It was a (laughs) techno future speed racer game with lots of (laughs) lots of techno and trance and almost house music back in the day. And I think I was like, seven or eight when when I got my hands on the first Mm -hmm. like demo copy of that game and I was like I hate the game but I love the music and you know chemical brothers the prodigy Mm -hmm. and I was like wow this stuff's really cool and I felt so special and cool knowing about it living in Oklahoma and Mm -hmm. Texas and a few other midwestern states I had lived in growing up and it was like this special secret and I was like Held on to it for so long. I was like, nobody, whenever I try to introduce this music to them, they're like, that's weird robot music. I don't like that. It's not country. It's not gospel, blah, blah, blah. And so between jazz and electronic music, I was like, wow, this is, this is just something really cool. And I was like, this is the future of music. I don't know where we're going, but it's somewhere. And for me, going out and watching people dance whenever there was a show and watching people's emotional experiences during that was just eye-opening for me I I'd played in band I was in marching band I was in jazz band and I knew there was something special but I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was because it was all so rehearsed you know you got Mm -hmm. your sheet music you got your set you got crowd expectations all of these things so it's very much a box that you get put in and then you have these predetermined expectations about what that musical experience is going to be Mm -hmm. whereas if i go you know back in the day to robotic wednesday or something you know there could be a dude in a werewolf costume just pop up out of nowhere Mm -hmm. or you know people throwing up or you know just all these wild things that you wouldn't expect Mm -hmm. in hindsight now i totally would but (laughs) (laughs) but um for me it was it was really cool and i think that the moment that really hit home for me was in 2017 uh my best friend that i had mentioned earlier that i went to go get in all the trouble with she had moved to florida and she had her kid and you know we were obviously older at the time but she invited me out to edc Mm. in tampa Mm. and i was like you know what i'll go this is gonna be great (laughs) and so i went and uh had the time of our lives but something really cool happened Mm -hmm. and while we were out in the field I don't remember which stage it was but someone had a big skein of yarn Mm -hmm. and I was like what the hell are they doing with that yarn out at the festival I've seen all kinds of matters of you know weird stuff out there but someone got this yarn and they started unwinding it and it and I started noticing I'm like whoa that's that's not yarn that's That's Halloween spider web. Now this is even weirder. What is (laughs) happening? So this guy gets this stuff and he starts spreading it out. And, you know, it's just, you know, what you see classic like white Halloween spider web or whatever. And he starts handing it to people, not in separate clumps, but it's all still connected. And over time, more and more people started handing the web to each other. And I eventually got a piece and, and I'm like, what do I do with it? And they're like, just hold on to it. You'll know in a minute. And mm-hmm. so like at this point, you've got like 20 or 50 people all holding the spider web and we're all holding it above our head. And it's like a giant net mm-hmm. above all of us. And the music's going. And then the person who originally started, you know, the whole process was like, OK. You can tug on it with your fingers now, you know, do whatever. And so everyone starts dancing and just kind of pulling it with the movement of their hands. Mm. And I'm like, this is really cool. We're all interconnected in this moment and feeling what each other's feeling. And, you know, super, super cool moment. And I walk away from that and I was like, okay, People don't really go to the festivals, just share the music or take their pictures or, you know, the fashion mm-hmm. shots. You know, they just want to go be one with people. Mm-hmm. And I was like that. That's what this is about. And I'm here for it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is something that especially in a festival kind of experience that like being one with the ocean of bodies mm-hmm. and that. That web thing is kind of an even better like example of like you're literally connected in this literal web, uh, but also a figurative web with
1: everyone. That's absolutely that's really freaking cool. And I'm actually really excited because I bring that up just because that memory was only fresh in my mind a couple days ago. And the reason why was because I was looking through some photo albums of the work at Possibilities. They like to document and, and archive group work. And I saw a picture of a bunch of people in a in a conference room and they were all holding string <laughs> and they were doing the same thing in a business setting. <laughs> and I was like, what the I got to bring this back. I need to just go randomly do this everywhere I go now. So. <laughs> good. Good happen chance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why? any of this <laughs> uh, why music why audio uh, for you
1: <laughs> I think for me it was definitely a way to understand my senses a little bit more be more in touch with the way that I experience and perceive reality so I grew up with two siblings who are on the autism spectrum and I'm the eldest and I was really hard growing up. So they, you know, back in the nineties, living in Oklahoma and Texas, and there's, there was hardly a diagnosis. There was hardly any treatment and there was hardly any, um, empathy for families growing up with family members on the spectrum. And, one of the hardest things that i had to grow up and and empathize with and learn to understand better was just the the topic of sensory and how we all experience it differently whether we have lost senses or they're impaired by any means and especially with my sibling being hypersensitive to things something as simple as the dimness or brightness of light in a room or whether the sounds in 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 that room are overstimulating so for me Growing up, I also had to recognize in myself a hypersensitiveness or a hypersensitive hypersensitivity <laughs> to these things. And also be like, wow, okay, well, while I might present as a neurotypical individual of a really keen ear. Mm-hmm. And I had just noticed growing up, I, I don't have perfect pitch, but I have a good relative pitch. Mm-hmm so for me being able to hear these different things the sensitivity of being able to even hear leds and intonality between instruments and you know just those very small details that a lot of people take for granted every day aside from my love of music i was like wow i can i can put these powers to good use mm-hmm. and and make something of it and i i think one of the reasons that i am successful in what I do, at least I like to think I am, Mm -hmm. is just being able to have that appreciation and that humility of, okay, this is something that used to be a really big struggle for my family. Mm -hmm. And as we've grown together throughout the years and understood more about, you know, my siblings disabilities and, and what it means to be a sister to those individuals, and, and it really started to blur the line of even where I'm at. Cause you we're sitting here having a conversation and and people are like, you know, no, that sounds like a very neurotypical individual. I'm not even so sure of that anymore. Yeah. And I don't know what that means for me. That's something I haven't even explored yet. But for me, it's just been a really big ongoing process of self-discovery and what pushing myself to the limits of what I can capably do as a human.
0: Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> uh last question on this front. What advice do you have for people that are wanting to do what you do?
1: Absolutely. So for me, if I could share any negative wisdom, it is do not be afraid to make mistakes and always know that there's a way to fix things. And if there isn't, maybe that wasn't a good process to begin with.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> switching gears into the deep questions that make bit depth, bit depth. What is the role of spirituality or religion
1: in your life? I have been waiting for this <laughs> question. So I was very intentional with not listening to too many episodes or at least getting into them too sure, in sure, depth. Sure. Um, and not reading too much ahead, but um it's a really great question, even for myself, because I don't actually identify with one individual religion or spirituality. Mm-hmm. So for me, I grew up in a very conservative Southern Christian home, and that had some nice things tied to it. And it had some not no so nice things tied to it. I ended up being adopted by my aunt and uncle who had completely different takes on life. I went from this one firmly grounded system of belief to hey, I think Buddhism and Quakerism are kind of cool. You want to learn about them? Mm-hmm. And so for me that really set off a chain of events that made me question what it meant to have religion or to follow spirituality and even to today if someone was to ask me what's your denomination, what's your faith system, mm-hmm. I don't have one. Mm-hmm. But For me, over time, between the different groups of friends that I've made and the different scenarios that I've just plunged myself into, I've gotten to experience other individuals' faiths. Mm -hmm. So um, I have some really good friends that I made along the way in school that had introduced me to Islam, and I had made some very good friends that had shown me a deeper side of Buddhism and a lot of different other ways of doing things. I have friends that are proudly proclaimed Satanists. I have friends that will call themselves atheists, you name it at this point. And for me, I really came away with music and spirituality being the interconnectedness of it all, and really, when it comes down to it the the key essence in all of this that i've been able to find as a recurring pattern is just the power of storytelling, mm. because what is any of our faiths, religions, or beliefs without some sort of story attached to it yeah. and when you look at music, what is it but not a rhythmic story to be told. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was really cool to experience these different scenarios where, you know, maybe we were having a circle drum session, or I got invited to a Sunday temple service where throat singing was happening. Mm-hmm. And it really keyed in for me that you can experience spirituality through music alone. And that is enough if that is enough for you. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's where I'm at personally. I think that being able to bond with other people and share stories with each other through music is its own way of finding and experiencing God. And I think that's a beautiful thing to have for musicians and people that are in proximity to musicians or creators.
0: Absolutely. Beautiful answer. Experiencing God. Uh, what is your definition of God?
1: I think God is when we allow ourselves to be in a space of creation, Mm. whether that is the act of physically creating something ourselves or just bearing witness to creation, like birth, Mm. like writing a song. Some kid on the street putting together Legos, except they're not actually Legos. There's just some rocks (laughs) or whatever, you name it. I think that... Just being able to accept that things did not happen naturally on their own without something else impacting it. Mm. So cities aren't built without people. Mm. Ideas aren't had without someone having a brain to think those thoughts. Mm. Um, art doesn't happen without some form of medium. And to be able to really appreciate our our innate human ability and and want and need to create mm. it for me is what god is and and what that looks like personally for me can be as something as simple and mundane as listening to a really really crappy beat i made on repeat 50 mm-hmm. times and making sure it sounds to my liking or watching my partner pick a page out of his 467 things to draw a book. It can be that simple or it can be going to a festival or going to a music event and watching a group be in the pocket
2: mm-hmm.
1: and being able to tap into that and be in that pocket with them. I am a firm believer that in the pocket, in the groove, whatever you want to call it, is not just the artist's experience. It's the crowd and the listener's experience as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what is free will?
2: Ooh.
1: <laughs> hmm. Questionable take. I think a free will is the ability to accept that maybe we don't have free will. Mm. I think being able to choose to accept things as they come and to relinquish control is the truest act of free will. Mm -hmm. Because if free will was something placed on you from the get-go, you didn't have a choice in that matter. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So for me, I think it's just the ability to invite, release, accept, and acknowledge everything that's happening to us on a day-to-day basis.
0: Awesome, <laughs> I love that take. Uh, what do you think happens when we die?
1: Hmm. So I had cancer at eighteen. I had a one-pound cyst removed from my neck, and you're like, "Where are we going with this?" So <laughs> I had to face the concept of mortality at a very young age, and I did not have a lot of support going through that. I had a very atypical experience with cancer and basically they were like oh you have a giant cyst in your neck we're gonna take it out two weeks later oh we get the results back yeah that was actually cancer you dodged a bullet Mm -hmm. except i had had it for 10 years and didn't know i just had like a thyroid goiter. so Mm -hmm. took it out it was gone and they were like you're fine carry on and live life and then freshman year of college started and i was like what am i supposed to do with my (laughs) life um This part, I don't know if you'll want to choose to keep in the um, recording or not, but during that time, I was very much in a pit, a spiral, just a state of discontent and unhappiness and unsureness about what it meant to be alive or not alive. And then one of my classmates had psilocybin, a.k.a. magic mushrooms. And for me... I I was like, I don't know if these are going to help me, but it certainly can't hurt. I felt like at my rock bottom at that point. And I was like, nothing can be worse than having cancer, right? Mm -hmm. So I tried that out. And I don't know what kind of dosage I got at the time. It was probably something way too much for my little itty bitty child body at the time. (laughs) But had a massive dose of, <laughs> of magic mushrooms, and I thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. And I was so sure. I was like, I've done it. I've killed myself. My parents are going to hate me. I'm that kid that 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 ate mushrooms and died. And during that time, like, I was so sure I was going to die that I actually had made peace with my little messed up, inebriated state of mind. I was like, okay, whatever happens, it's going to happen. I'm ready. I'm, I'm here. I'm accepting it. And I don't know if just in my little fizzled out brain or deeply spiritually something happened. I don't know what, but for me, I felt like I was able to have a very temporary glimpse into like what would maybe be just the the act of dying or the beginning of death. And I think for me, the long-winded answer to this question: When we die, I think that how do I word this? <laughs> I think nothing and everything happens at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the non-spiritual side of me, the the clinging to. La- logical happenings and physics and and the world of science as I know it and can quantify it as I am like, okay, we, we decompose, we go back to the earth. Um, maybe some mushrooms grow. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but then at the same time, everything happens. Your family's affected. There are business decisions that need to be made on your behalf, items that need to be bequeathed. And I think from there, it really comes back to the storytelling because mm-hmm. in a lot of different cultures and beliefs, as long as that individual's name is still spoken and that person is remembered, mm-hmm. they can go on forever. Mm-hmm. You know, in my in my house, we're a blended culture house. We have a... We have a um sorry I'm just having like a brain moment. Nice, yeah. Um we have an altar for my Mm -hmm. partner's grandmother. And so she's acknowledged almost daily. And there's incense, there's there's fruit, there's whatever holiday items are out or there for her too. I ended up adopting that. My father sits on the altar side with her and same thing, lots of sweets and candy, because that was his favorite. But for me, I think that when we die, ultimately, we go on to become part of the big, never ending story that is all of us. And while on one side of that coin, you know, some people can take that as, you know, nothing's happening, they're buried, that's it, that's the end. But on the other side, it really depends on what you want to choose. If you want to choose to remember that person and continue to share their story and pass that story on to your family and descendants, then there's nothing to be scared about. Mm-hmm. You might not be there physically with them, but you'll be there be there with them forever in their in their hearts and minds.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love it. How do you determine what good behavior is?
1: I'm squinting. (laughs) I'm squinting as a person that grew up living conventionally through bad behavior (laughs) as deemed by society. I I think in life we have to really step away from the notion of good or bad because that's all rooted in opinion and insecurity and guilt and shame in other people's lives. Because one person could see you do a deed, commit an act and think it's the worst thing in the world. And then someone on the other side of the street might applaud you for it. Mm -hmm. And for us to really assign value without understanding the weight of that value towards people's deeds, I think can be detrimental to being able to actually acknowledge and appreciate what someone is trying to accomplish. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I think ultimately you have to really look at the intent behind the action Mm -hmm. Um, for example, you know, we can talk about drug use and, um, not to disclose too much, but I also work in social work, um, for some case management and, and other services for individuals, um, mentorship, referral, you name it. And one thing that I always take with me and like to share with the people that I'm trying to help is I'm not going to judge you for what action you're doing. I want to talk to you about why we're doing it. You know, that could be drinking, that could be hard drug use, that can be hitting your spouse or whatever. And me being able to take the ability to look at it from the outside and not assign my own personal bias to whether that action was good or bad and try to work with the individual to um, uncover why we're doing those things and how that's impacting other people at that point we can really look at whether it's "quote unquote good or bad. And if it's, if it's serving the person and the person that they or the people they care about. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, if we had to say what is good behavior, I think good behavior is any behavior where we know the true intent of it.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I like hearing all of the variety of ways that, uh, the binaries that are inherent in some of the questions I ask are questioned, which is kind of my goal. Like I want people to escape the question. (laughs) Uh, Then how do we reduce the division between people? If that is a goal of yours.
1: (laughs) I think really it is... At the heart of things, finding that common ground between people. Um, for example, one of the podcasts, our kind of flagship series is Breaking Ice, Building Bridges. And sure, that's a fun and catchy title, but we really strive to take people from complete opposite ends of the social spectrum, mm-hmm. whether that be political view, race, gender, whatever you think that could be a potentially chaotic situation like oh you put this person with this person in a room oh my god are you insane and we're like yes yes we did do that Mm -hmm. and we did that with the intent to try to break down those barriers because uh, one of my favorite phrases that I've heard lately is that it's hard to hate up close Mm -hmm. and no matter how much preconceived bias fear hate or any other negative feeling that we might have to that person completely completely begins to disintegrate when you're forced in close proximity. And that's because they start talking to each other and they start sharing their stories. And at some point during that conversation, it might happen in the first five minutes and might happen several days, weeks or months later, but those two people are going to find something in common Mm -hmm. that they've experienced. And whenever we start to really talk with and acknowledge and experience each other in these settings, we learn hey i'm not alone maybe they went through that thing i went through with too or maybe the way that i feel about this certain thing might be how they feel too and the more you talk with someone and the more that you get to know them you know you just those barriers just start to melt away
2: Mm -hmm.
0: thank you (laughs) do you believe humans are evil by nature
1: I think that humans have a deeply ingrained want and need to survive and carry on. And I think that that expresses itself in a multitude of ways. I think through the act of self-preservation, a person can be put up against Obstacles, choices, and actions that they never thought they would do. Mm -hmm. I believe looking back, even just thinking about some things I've even done in my life um, that one could consider bad or evil or just not good in general. Looking back, I... I try and it's an ongoing process, but I tend to have compassion because I have to ask myself, did I do that thing because I wanted to be bad or was I just trying to survive or escape an impossible situation? Mm-hmm. And I think when we allow ourselves to ask that question for other people, we can ultimately say. Yeah, sure, things that happen in nature could be considered cold, heartless, evil, mm-hmm. bad, I uh, but when we look at that as just the, the the strong urge to survive and carry on and that we're doing whatever is necessary or whatever we think is in the best interest for ourselves, or our families to make it to the next day, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe that's just us dealing with the hands that we've been dealt at the time.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I feel the need to clarify the reason why I asked that question, because it is not that I believe humans are evil or good or whatever by nature. It's more that, like, by simply asking the question, it allows people to question that narrative, which I feel the belief that humans are evil is detrimental to society. (laughs) And so by just asking the question, we're able to find a way around it. So... (laughs) What do you think humanity is heading towards in the future?
1: I think metaphorically we're very much in a bow and arrow state. I think we are definitely in some cases taking a few steps back and toward like in terms of empathizing and wanting to excuse me. Um I think that we are taking some steps back because we are scared of what's ahead. Mm-hmm. And I think we are all internally withdrawing into ourselves in some cases, as the individual or groups. But I think that is happening because we know as a collective that there are great things on the way. And I think with all great and big changes comes natural fear Mm -hmm. and hesitancy. It's like you're on the diving board and you know you're about to have the time of your life jumping into the pool, but you're scared cuz what if you what if you belly flop or something mm-hmm. and i think we have the opportunity to really tap into ourselves and our potential as individuals in society but there's going to come natural resistance to that whether that's civil unrest whether that is people spewing hate which is deep rooted fear and what other bouts of chaos people can stir. But ultimately, I think it is necessary for us to acknowledge those fears and those hesitancies so that, like the bow, we can draw ourselves back and spring forward into what's coming next. Hmm.
0: Awesome metaphor. I didn't expect
1: it to, like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was, like, confused whenever it first came and then it's like how it re- resolved so well. <laughs> it took
1: some time. We got there. <laughs>
0: Uh, What makes you optimistic for our future?
1: Every time I see someone try something new, every time I see a little kid try a new piece of technology, anytime that little kid shows a grandparent or an older family member a new piece of technology and they want to try it out because the kiddo's trying it. I think it's important to be hopeful and recognize the hopefulness in others. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I myself will even get down in the dumps. Oh, this news was too heavy. This thing happened in my life and I don't want to process it. I don't want to accept it. And life doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel sunny and doesn't feel like it has any prospect, but then I see someone else having a moment. That's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. And I just have to recognize, wow, just because I'm feeling this way doesn't mean that everyone else is feeling this way. Yeah, And if I can just take a moment to look at, you know, what that kid having the time of their life is doing or but this person is being so excited to share about me or share with me because they learned something new it gives me the the moment to step back and reassess you know we've we've been here for and I guess everyone has different opinions but I'm going to go with thousands of years that's a pretty middle ground you know we we as a society and and as 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 people have been around for so long why stop now why give up no one's all just going to collectively go lay down and put a towel over their head and say oh it's over we're done we're not going to go hitchhiker's guide on this or anything but I think if if there's a before And there's a present and there's a now. There has to be an after. Mm -hmm. And if we can't acknowledge the after, how do we get there? Yeah. (laughs) Cool.
0: Uh, What else do I got? Yeah. What makes you content?
1: Hmm. I'm definitely one of those types that is on the never ending hamster wheel of trying to make other people happy. Mm -hmm. So for me, contentness really comes from being able to experience myself in calm, quiet, still settings. So that has taken a lot of interpersonal work for me to even just be able to sit on my couch on a Saturday morning with like some tea and a journal and just be able to be right there or even not have the journal just Mm -hmm. sit Mm -hmm. to just sit there and be so with me just trying to hone that skill and, and build that kind of muscle memory I've I've found that I've been able to really experience contentment Without needing anything else and just being okay with me, myself, there with nothing and nothing happening and that being okay.
0: Beautiful. (laughs) When will you be
1: satisfied? Hmm. (laughs) Hmm, That's a good one. (laughs) I think I will be satisfied when I am on my deathbed. And that my only regret is that I didn't give myself more things to regret about.
2: <laughs>
1: I know that's a morbid take, but I think for me, if I can try to live my life to the fullest that I'm capable of and, and within reason and, and live that life well, and hopefully I get to experience being able to process dying, I very much hope I, I can be in a situation where I have some iota of control over how I pass and I think at that point I will be like okay show's over pack it up let's go and I will feel okay that I did my best cool
0: (laughs) what advice do you have for people in general
1: always be willing to make a new friend in unexpected places Mm. some of the most amazing things have happened in my life just because I said hello back. Mm -hmm. And I think we don't give each other enough chances to form new meaningful connections with each other due to fear, due to self doubt and shyness in general. Mm -hmm. So if we can overcome that and just say hi back or, Do you want to be friends or Mm. anything like that that can really take you down an amazing path of new discoveries?
0: Beautiful. Lastly, potentially, most importantly, cake or pie? Pie. (laughs) What's the pie that came to mind?
1: Chocolate pudding pie, because that's what my grandparents make during the holidays, and it's just superior to cake. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to be sorry. It's your opinion. (laughs) Jazz, thank you so much for doing this with me.
1: Thank you. It was really fun to be on. I enjoyed your studio. I enjoyed the setup. I can't wait to hear (laughs) how it turns out, and really excited to be here. Thank you again.
0: Yeah, Where can people find you in your things or support the stuff that you're doing?
1: So if you are wanting to dive into the world of podcasting and meet some new people along the way, you can check out Possibilities Incorporated here in Oklahoma City. That's going to be possibilitiesinc.org. Or you can hit me up on Instagram. That is jazzbot underscore (laughs) talkspot. Or you can just search me by my regular name, Jasmine Bryan, on Facebook and we can get a good conversation going
0: thank you so much for doing this with me i'm santiago ramones
1: i'm jazz
0: uh is there like a thing that i can put at the end of this podcast that is like your music or a clip of something like normally i have musicians on and so it's like here's a song at the end but yeah
1: (laughs) yeah so Let me share with you a small snippet of some music I've been working on for some potential video games coming out in the future.
0: find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can support me directly by buying my music on Bandcamp. I'm working on Hypothetical, my first singer-songwriter album, so if you'd like to hear that at some point, there are lots of ways to support me on my website. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me to hear what you have to say, and it lets others know what to expect, better than I could ever explain. I want to help the world have deeper conversations, so thank you for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I was in the podcast with my three things, they shape my life philosophy, those three things are love never fails, it's going to be okay, I might be wrong.